you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, hello, and welcome to this next episode of the Mass Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Liam Martin, who is a big advocate of remote work and time tracking. Welcome to the show, Liam. Thanks for having me. Fantastic, fantastic. And Liam, I've been using one of your products for many, many years, I would say probably at least five plus years by now, uh, and I've been a big fan. So I'm very excited to have you here in the podcast. Yeah, I, I always love it when I can talk with somebody that's used, and I'm assuming you're talking about a time doctor, for an extended amount of time, because then we can actually really kind of just get past the surface level stuff and really go a lot deeper into remote work, which is something that I know that you're passionate about and I am as well. Definitely, definitely. And Liam, I, I talk with a lot of people that are sort of either in one camp or the other in terms of time tracking, right? And I'm personally, the way I look at it is that there's definitely things that are valuable to track. Uh, generally, I think people can sometimes have the right, wrong mindset around time tracking. Whereas if you're fo- only focused on making sure people work a certain number of hours, but not looking at the output, then you're absolutely killing yourself, right? However, the way I look at time tracking and time data is that it should basically help you optimize your day. I mean, I, I use it myself uh, pretty regularly, and I think it's great to actually look at the difference between, you know, what should my priorities be and where did my time actually get spent, right? And I think particularly people that I, I know that run agencies I find it absolutely critical if you run an agency so you actually know and understand how much time is going into each client. Because many of the, the agencies we work with, and that could be web devs or you know SEO agencies or whatever, they tend to charge just a set amount, so like $1,000 a month or whatever. But they're not good at looking at how much time goes into it. So you know, occasionally when I start working with people, they realize, oh, we actually have people where we spend 1200 bucks fulfilling a thousand dollar client. And we have people where we spend 200 bucks fulfilling a thousand dollar client. And the, the thing is, if, if you're running an agency, if you're running something like that, you definitely want to have a clear understanding of where your time goes, because that helps you understand what are your best clients really. Right? Yeah, that is, I mean, you're describing one of the major use cases of our tech, which is just analyzing. Everyone looks at their PL at the end of the month and they say, oh, okay, we made profit. Okay, great. You made profit, but did you make profit on every client? The vast majority of the time, that is not that is not the case. And you need to actually analyze that data, and we'll do audits where an agency will come to us and they'll say, "Oh wow, three months later, I had to fire seventeen clients out of our sixty because." we realized that we were losing money on them, or we just said, well, we're doubling our fee on, you know, on you as a client. And it's just, it's such an easy thing to be able to conservatively, I would probably say the average agency that I look at that uses our tech 
sees about a 20 to 30% increase in net profitability just from implementing the software, which is, you know, makes the software profitable on day three. <laughs> so I just look at, you know, I look at this situation, I think to myself, everyone just kind of, they, they don't think about that as such an easy low line piece of fruit to go after. And um, it's confusing to me because I have not personally been in the agency world, but I have so many of my friends that are in it and the ones that are good, they look at that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah and it's it, it's very interesting, right? I, I think, I mean, I, I talk with a lot of clients that are like, oh, you know, I, I really need to make sure they work their hours and I really need to make sure, like they're kind of using it more as a like, how do you say? Uh, not a management tool, that would be the wrong description, but more a as nanny a, tool. A, a nanny tool or like a leash yeah. a little bit, right? Like, and Yeah, and, that's, and that's, that's the shame. wrong way to look at it. So we, the other great thing about Time Doctor, and for those of your listeners that don't know what it is, basically, it's not just a time tracking tool. We really consider ourselves a time analytics tool. So we will look at not just how much time it took to complete a task, but what you did to actually complete that task. And what that allows us to do is a lot of very cool machine learning and artificial intelligence analysis. So we have the largest second by second work database on the planet. So I could very easily tell you that as an example, uh, people that go on to Facebook during their work week, um, versus people that don't, the people that do go onto Facebook during their work week are more productive than the people that don't go onto Facebook during their work week. Yeah. So probably you should implement a little bit of Facebook <laughs> inside of your organization. Um, we've found the optimal work week. There's a lot of data to be able to say it's a 26 hour work week. Our data has found it's about a 32 hour work week. That is really the most optimal for your particular work week. Uh, we do something else inside of our company, which again, might sound a little weird to people, but we are the time tracking people and definitely makes sense to us. We measure profitability per hour for our sales team. So that's one of the things that has been a very interesting insight and really flips things on their head. So, and this goes back to probably about six months ago, no, more than a year ago, where we had our top sales rep that got the top commissions for the year or sorry, for the month. And they worked about a hundred hours over what they should have been working for that particular month. The second place person <clears throat> that literally got 5% less commissions was working a hundred hours less than the actual month. So we analyzed that person's workday and we had so much longitudinal data that we were able to very consistently show that he was in the top 10th percentile of the sales team, but yet he was not reporting the same amount of hours. And by analyzing his data, we were able to see very clear trend lines that differentiated him as a worker versus the other salespeople. So it's like the old adage that working hard is, is honestly really stupid. It's working smart. And that's what you really need to be able to measure. That's what we hope that people use the tool for is how can you work smarter and how can you be more efficient with your time? Because then that makes for a happier employee and a happy, happier employer. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. I, I would say so many people say that statement. I hear so many people like, oh yeah, you know, work, 
work smarter, not harder, but very, very few people actually do it and get what it means. But this is exactly the type of stuff that I'm looking at, right? So both mm. both learning from best practices in general, but particularly also being in control of your data, right? Because I mean, time data is one that's, that's super effective, but like in, in many, many instances, like being solid, having a solid KPI, having solid results measurement is really, really important because there's so many people in so many businesses that are quote, working hard, as in they're working a lot of hours, but the actual output they're getting doesn't really reflect that, right? And I think, I think fundamentally, I mean, you said in, in your sales team, but, but really over your entire staff, like you can look at if you have staff that are working and, and in principle are not providing you a positive ROI, that's not a great situation, right? So fundamentally over your entire staff, like if you actually look at your entire population of staff, look at your total revenue and see, you know, what, what is each person actually making on a consistent basis? I, I think things like that is super interesting, but, but generally like KPIs for me is one of the best ways to, to actually stay afloat and really control a business. Because when you're a small business and you have five staff, like a lot of business owners can kind of keep the, the numbers in their head and they, they kind of understand their finances. But when you start scaling, and I mean, you guys have hundreds of staff now, right? Like when, when you start scaling, like having solid, solid KPIs and, and knowing what to measure and what to look for makes such a huge difference, right? Oh yeah, there's a um, there's a lot of data to be able to suggest that basically past about 100 to 150 people, uh, you can no longer refer to them directly as like part of your tribe, basically, um, and they start to become data points. And this is an inevitability. And if you think that you're not ever going to do that like i'm going to be different from everyone else <clears throat> you're absolutely wrong because you're just pushing up against anthropology uh and the scientific method inevitably if you have 250 people inside of your organization they cease to become people and they start to become numbers from a pnl perspective now obviously they're all really important team members but at the end of the day uh if you're the ceo of the company as an example you really have to have clarity on not just what my VPs are doing, but hopefully that those VPs are talking to their managers and then talking to their individual team leaders and then their team members about how to operate this company effectively. Well, the reality is, is that that's like, that's 20th century thinking. We now have technology to be able to get complete granularity from top to bottom very, very efficiently. And a lot of large corporations do this. Well, actually all corporations, large corporations do this. We have not found, at least for us, a Fortune 500 company that is not implementing these types of metrics because they work. <laughs> and they're, they're how you measure effective uh, effectiveness in the workplace. So for us, I mean, I'm very passionate about trying to figure out not just how not just how to get people to work harder, but how to get people to work more efficiently. And a lot of the data that we find is very counterintuitive, which is an interesting perspective as well, as I had said, you know, sometimes um, spending time on social media actually makes you more efficient at your job. Um, 
got a whole bunch of other things that kind of connect to that too, but <clears throat> maybe that's for another podcast. Well, I, I think fundamentally, as you said earlier, like you said, the ideal working day, for, according to your data, is around 32 hours, right? Yeah. I, I think this is definitely something a lot of entrepreneurs should be listening to because, again, like so many entrepreneurs that I'm coaching, you know, they end up like, yeah, I'm working 100 hours a week and it's kind of like this, they're being cool doing yeah. it. But, I mean, but that's the fastest way to burn yourself out and burn down your business. Like, I I'm going to be completely honest with you. I work right now probably about 30 hours. I've actually got my time doctor open right now. About 20 of those hours is spent on podcasts and conferences that I'm presenting at. So we were talking about this before where I, in essence, turned into a figurehead as opposed to an operator, which is... I have some problems with that as well, to be completely honest with you. But regardless, that is one of the only things that I can do that other people can't do inside of the business. And I measure it very clearly and effectively. Now, why that doesn't take me 60 hours is because I have three people that book absolutely everything for me where <clears throat> I know, okay, here's the person that I'm interacting with. They want to do a podcast with me. They schedule it. They send me. They send the press one sheet over to the podcaster, and maybe they're working with their EA and all this kind of stuff to be able to make it happen. So fundamentally, all I have to do is jump on here and and chat with really interesting people like yourself, right? Which is the way that you do things. It's the way that you become more efficient with your time. I just it blows me away the amount of people that don't think that don't have a correlation between. Um, this, I think it's like this hustle culture and, and I don't want to necessarily pick on that, but you probably know who that particular person would be that would be responsible for that. It's like this hustle porn perspective. And, um, that is a very interesting perspective, but I got to tell you top billionaires, billionaire tech entrepreneurs do not hustle. They were all, unfortunately, the reality is, is they were all incredibly intelligent people that were able to take advantage of a particular technological tweak at, a, at the right time with the right amount of luck to be able to execute and maybe turn a $100 million business into a $10 billion business. Like that's the reality is that you just have to, it's just a combination of intelligence and luck. And um, yeah. I, I, I don't like to say that because I think a lot of people have this and absolutely like hustling, working harder. If you are unlucky and stupid, that's a really good thing to do, right? Like that's definitely going to put gains in your pocket, but it's not going to get you to the level of an Elon Musk or a Zuckerberg or something like that, right? Like it's just not going to happen for you, but you have to think to yourself, well, stop thinking about going in that direction. Stop thinking about being a Zuckerberg. And how about just like generating a million dollar a year business? If you do that, you actually are going, I mean, you're not just a one percenter, uh, you're a 0.1 percenter on planet earth. That's a pretty good deal for me. That's I think what a lot of people should go for because that's actually an achievable goal for most people. And, and I think that the fundamental problem, I mean, because even, even someone like Musk obviously works his ass off and 
uh, expect similar from his staff. But one of the key things people don't understand is he's not sitting doing the wrong stuff. Like the the way he spent his time is a- again like it's optimized. It's he's yeah. making important decisions. He's talking to the right people at the right time. He's not just sitting around doing random podcasts for no reason, right? Yep. He when he do things, there's a very very clear purpose. The problem that I consistently see with all these people hustling is that they're basically close to direct funnels many times. And they're just, it, it comes from the hourly wage. I think it comes from the fact that you're like, oh, well, you know, if I work two jobs, you know, I make more money because I make money every hour I work, right? And, and a lot of the time people have that kind of mindset as an entrepreneur as well. But 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 the mm-hmm. fundamental is that, again, 80-20, right? Like there's a few things you do. And if you do them really, really well, then your business will grow significantly. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, and then once you get up to this is the thing that I'm at right now, which is very exciting. You know, COVID was obviously pretty good for remote tools all around. So Time Doctor has been doing well. And now I'm getting into a point in which we've hired such an immense infrastructure of people that are so much smarter than me or my co-founder, Rob, who's the CEO of the company. Um we don't do like if we did something in the business it would be detrimental to the business like that outside of strategy right which is just we're strategically trying to figure out where the company is going to go next because we own all the shares in the company but that's not but we're not not paying attention to all of these super smart people that are around us but in terms of the operations the implementation right like if you take the EOS perspective we've got these team of implementers that are all around us that basically you know present our vision and just execute on it perfectly um, and so once you get to a business in which you can hire these people you can basically i almost kind of call it like purchasing the bureaucracy of an organization there's no, you can get to, it's almost like a passive income type of situation, right? Where you've, you're at the point where it's like, yeah, the company is now running itself and all you're simply doing is not even course corrections. You're just simply coming in there and saying, well, what do you think we should do for the next, like right now, the biggest meeting that I had to put the most energy into this week was what's our one year and five year goal? that we reassess every quarter, right? Like that was, and, and that was honestly a three hour meeting. So it was like, and, and it was me and Rob talking about it and then bringing in four or five other super smart people being like, hey, is, does this jive with you or not jive with you, right? It's just like entirely focused yeah. on vision and mission. And then the actual bureaucracy of the business handled itself, which is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and it is a totally different level. and and. It is where most entrepreneurs are trying to go, right? Like it, yeah. But exactly as you say, I mean, the thing is, when you start being able to hire super smart people, when 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 you find people who are better than you, uh, they don't necessarily need to be better than you than everything, but when they're significantly better than you in particular critical areas in the business, that's when you see the business significantly boom, right? Yeah, and I actually think something particularly for this podcast which I would touch on as well, is pairing a really highly effective executive, so like a C-level or a VP, with 
a outsourced infrastructure. So as an example, I was we were talking before I jumped on about um, KPIs and our SEO team. So we have a KPI in our SEO team called Cumulative Domain Authority, <clears throat> which we have a whole team of linkers. Um, effectively, what those linkers do is they reach out to other websites and they say, hey, I would like to get a backlink from your website. And in exchange, I am prepared to offer XYZ, right? It's, it's SEO. 101, at least off-page SEO. And we discovered when we just said, go get backlinks, we were getting crap backlinks. And then when we said, well, go get us only good backlinks and backlinks don't count or bad ones don't count, then that was actually a big problem because they weren't even going after the easy stuff. So what we implemented was cumulative domain authority, which effectively allowed for us to be able to say, if I get a backlink from Salesforce, that's a domain authority, which is basically the importance of this website from one to 100. Uh, Salesforce is an 86. That would be 86 points as opposed to one backlink. And then what we do is we, um, we give bonuses and commissions on that KDA. Well, that allows me within effectively three minutes to know what all of those 40 linkers have done this month because I get one single report through HubSpot because we collect all of our data through HubSpot and I get this report and it says, hey, yeah, okay, this is the person that got the commission. This is the lowest part on the team. I have trend lines to be able to know if you're more than three quarters in the bottom 20th percentile of the team, you're up for review and you probably will get terminated, not by me, but by the manager, not even the VP. And when we onboard someone, they have to actually be in, they have to be higher than the 50th percentile within the first three months. And if they have not gotten a KDA higher than 50, 50th percentile within the first three months, they don't work with us. They do get a fantastic education on how to do SEO, but they just haven't pulled that trigger yet. So what we do is we hire people that are primarily located in the Philippines to be able to do this type of work. We have an entire LMS. We have an entire online training system that we give them to start them off and we actually get people that are English majors in, uh, in the Philippines because you really need to understand the written word better than anyone else. We bring them through that process and our success rate is, uh, we call it the crucible, it's about 60% on average for new hires, but we're effectively able to bring someone up and get backlinks for on average $32 per backlink. Now, if you went and bought that, and that's for a DR50 and above. Yeah. If you went to any agency and you wanted to buy a DR60 backlink, it's probably going to cost you about $300. So in the market, like we're effectively, by doing this on our own and implementing the right metrics, we're able to 10x our profitability on that team in comparison to others. And I hire as many people like right now that team has gone from 10 at the beginning of the year to 40 and we really want to go up to like 400 people like we just if you can if you can make it through the crucible you're in and just once you have all of those clear metrics and it just everything fits then it's just putting people in the beginning of that system um i know that that maybe sounds a little too complicated but it's just it's so uh once you have that all set up it's like you could get to 400, you could get to 
a thousand people, right? If you really wanted to uh, and, and build like a HubSpot level inbound marketing campaign, if you really wanted to. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's what's so important with systems and scaling, right? And it's where, it's where so many businesses really struggle to grow, right? Because fundamentally they're just not, they're not getting it right. Like it's not just writing something down on a piece of paper in a process, right? It's, it's actually the ability to filter people through and, and really make sure that, you know, multiple people can go through the process in an effective manner, learn it, pick it up and, you know, being able to execute. Now that they, they will not all be successful, right? Cause we're dealing that, with human I mean, beings, but that brings it full circle. Actually, for me, I, I've been thinking about this quite a lot, particularly during COVID. Um, so I'm coming up with this new statement, which is a little, a, a little ballsy, but maybe you'll agree with me. Maybe you won't agree with me. So remote work, right, has gone from about four and a half percent of the U.S. was working full time remotely pre-COVID. Post-COVID in April, it was about 45 percent. It's remained relatively consistent between 40 to 45 percent up until right now. And we are uh, in November of 2020 right now. So we've, we have a very interesting moment where I think a lot of the remote work companies that were, that existed pre COVID have a lot to teach to this new generation of companies, because I mean, I think the writing's on the wall within the next one to two years, I think Everyone will realize that they have to work remotely, not because it's a better work environment, but because it's so much more capital efficient than working inside of an office. Um, the numbers on average is you're going to get about a 30% cost savings, right? In terms of work efficiency, just not commuting into work and actually like having an office, having computers, all that kind of stuff. So the the concept that i really want people to grasp onto and you touched on it in a really interesting in a perfect way is asynchronous management so the ability for not an individual to synchronously communicate because inside of remote work and remote teams there's this debate of synchronous versus asynchronous communication right synchronous is what we're doing right now asynchronous is sending a slack message or sending an email and allowing someone to complete the deep work that they require and then interacting with you at a later date so not requiring your response instantaneously and this also applies to process documentation which is where it really started to click for me i was talking to some of the gitlab guys uh, if you go to about.gitlab.com/handbook they have the largest remote work repository process document on planet earth. It's about 4,800 pages. It's open source. You can grab it and you can fork it and you can actually build your own. So they were saying they are entirely an asynchronous organization. They're constantly trying to move into that direction as much as humanly possible. So my belief is that asynchronous management is the methodology that has come forth from remote companies that were forced to actually adopt an asynchronous model and that this tech, this kind of, this management philosophy, which I'm calling asynchronous management is something that you can apply to an office model or not an office model. The, I recently actually just shut down um, 
an office that I had where I had let in a couple other companies come in and just share the space. And I got like five minute itis all the time. So people would constantly be knocking on my door saying, Hey, do you have five minutes? Do you have five minutes? And because I'd never worked in an office before, I didn't really understand this phenomenon, which was collaboration and synchronicity and the, the belief that working in an office creates this, this more efficient model. It's complete bullshit. But in reality, actually, it just distracts you, but it makes you feel good. And because it makes you feel good that you can communicate with other people and you can hang out with them and chat with them, you want to hold on to it. And I think that that entire model is actually like, <clears throat> I think it's dead. I think that COVID just boom, shot it dead with a bullet. I, I think that probably within the next five years, the majority of companies will operate asynchronously because they will know whether they work in an office or not, because they will understand that that is such a more efficient way to actually get work done. Or not, I don't know. But that's, those no, are my thoughts. I, I totally agree, and, and I love the way you said that you've set up a, a, a in-house LMS, right? And and you have a solid training system, because I, again, I fundamentally believe that that's that's the way forward, and that's what most companies ought to be doing, um, because fundamentally, like you know, it, it should be straightforward to train new people. It should be straightforward to teach people the basic skills of what it is they need to be doing in their jobs, right? And the easier, the simpler you can do that. Um, obviously, I mean, you can send them manually videos and stuff, but but the more automated, the more oh, straightforward yeah. the system is, the more like with an LMS, you can build in various tests and you can do all this sort of stuff to see do people get it, right? And and I think really that's the strongest way of, of building up a strong infrastructure, right? There's a, uh, there's a statement that I steal from Napoleon, which is, he said, orders shouldn't be easy to understand. They should be impossible to misunderstand. And I think about that when I think about process documentation. And it's like, it's a very small shift, but it's actually, it's a small shift in your mind, but it's monumental in how you implement things. So if something's easy to understand, then that means 90% of people understand the order or the process document as an example. But how do you get to 100%? Oh, well, you hyperlink the portal link that you need to be able to access your GoDaddy server as an example. And maybe you have a video tutorial from GoDaddy on exactly how to do it, but not just in English, also in Tagalog, because the vast majority of people that will be consuming that process speak Tagalog Filipino as their first language. And you just be, you're so precise about all of those different pieces of the process that it becomes impossible to misunderstand. And this is the thing that for me, I mean, when I see uh, the other thing that a lot of your readers probably don't know is I also run a conference called Running Remote. And at that conference, I'm able to sit around with some of the top remote work companies, founders in the world. It was really just my, <laughs> I just wanted to kind of learn more about how they ticked. And I got to tell you, the most successful ones, everyone, and I'm talking everyone who's over a thousand employees has such detailed process documentation. It, it just, you know, 
I wish I could make this a stronger statement and hammer this into people's minds. The faster that you start implementing process documentation inside of remote teams or outside of remote teams, it doesn't matter, the faster the business will grow. It's almost like doing your accounting or doing your taxes. No one wants to do it, but the moment that you do it, you feel a lot better about it and actually your business will succeed. The faster that you don't do it, and this is the other part that kind of connects to asynchronous management, which I think is, and again, I haven't fully conceptualized this, I'm still thinking about it. The reason why process documentation isn't important inside of offices when you have synchronous management is because humans are the process documentation. Because you're saying, hey, Suzanne, how do you do this? Oh, Liam, you do it this way. Wrong. No one should ever be asking that question inside of the organization. It should always be available to everyone in a written down digitized form that you can access from anywhere on planet earth. And the, and the faster that you actually get that done, the faster your business will succeed. Because one day, unfortunately, Suzanne or someone like her is going to get hit by a bus or is going to quit and get a better job from somewhere else. And then you're fucked. Cause guess what? Suzanne knew how to do this one thing that was an absolute linchpin to your entire business. And now she's gone. And you've got to figure out how to fix it. This is the thing that is just so frustrating to me when I see businesses implement or not implement it because I just see it as such an open hole inside of their operations. So I'm also on my second glass of scotch, which is maybe I'm getting why I'm getting a little too belligerent about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say fundamentally, I mean, totally agree. So many business owners are like, yeah, we'll, we'll do that when we grow bigger. And I'm like, no, you won't grow bigger if you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, right? like like it's 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 the other way around. It's not even a chicken and an egg. It's a horse before the cart type of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, last thing I would like to touch on, Liam, is just in terms of you. You mentioned you have been hiring execs and and higher level guys, right? I think fundamentally, a lot of my clients are definitely in that situation where they. They're eager to to hire people either to replace themselves at some point or at least higher level guys that can really go in and add a ton of value. So I'm I'm very interested in hearing from from your side, like how you've gone around hiring these people. And I I, I take it they're they're probably paid more than than sort of your previous employees typically were, right? But yeah, uh, like how have you actually gone around <laughs> finding and hiring these execs? So first off, before you start, you really got to figure out what type of business you're doing, right? So I do a SaaS business. So I have a SaaS coach that I that I work with, an executive coach. And then he's been helping me through the actual structuring of that team. So, and I'll, I'll just be very, I'll be a lot more specific about it to my particular situation as an example. So we have um, operations, customer success, which is basically just keeping customers happy after they've actually converted uh, sales, marketing, and support, right? And then the CEO. Uh, so outside, uh, that's basically the top level org inside of the organization. Those are all chief level executives. So once you figure out your chief level executives, uh, then you really start a process of figuring out, well, how much can I theoretically afford? What's the market rate for those particular people? Um, and then breaking it down. So we'll do at minimum, 
um, for a C-level position will probably, well, and, and that actually depends to a degree. Something like sales, you could probably get 500 CVs, but something like operations, we get even more specific. So for us, we need someone who's been doing operations for a remote company that has more than a thousand employees that also runs a B2B um, is in the business space. So when you think about how many COOs or VP of ops are have previously been at a company that's more than a thousand employees and remote and in the business niche. Uh, I don't know if you know how many people it is. I do. It's 87. There's 87 of those people on planet earth. Uh, and so we went through that list and we just found one and actually, um, his name's Michael and he used to work for WordPress. He now works with us and he's completely rebuilt, um, our HR departments, our legal, our, you know, uh, our general kind of operational capacity and, that's that's how we went on that side to get a little bit more granular however our regular process if we're just going to hire a regular candidate is generally like linkers as an example would be 500 cvs minimum those 500 cvs get reviewed by our hr team boil it down to about 50 candidates those 50 candidates get a first level test from us um a lot of those tests are really kind of tuned to the particular position. Then if they pass that test, we usually grab the top 20 candidates from that test. We have the direct manager interview those top 20 candidates that boils down to approximately four to five people that are then interviewed by a second person, either the VP or someone else inside of the team that we think could theoretically become a team leader or a manager. So we kind of give them a little bit of taste of that. And we break that down. They individually assess those five candidates, break it down to a top three. And we, unlike a lot of companies, we always hire two people, which you'd think is weird, but we always hire two people. And the reason why we do is because inside of a remote work organization, you can hire people very, very quickly. You can hire them on as contractors. So it costs us not that much money to check our math and find out, was our number one pick actually the right one or was it the second place person? So we basically give them exactly the same tasks. So like for an SEO, we'll actually have them um, go after, let's say three different blog posts and we'll get, try to get them to go after links for three different blog posts that we effectively think are as difficult. And we use the Ahrefs um, keyword difficulty measure to be able to, to go after that. And we just see how many links they can rack up for those three blog posts. Uh, and you'd be blown away at how often we get it wrong. We get it wrong about 20 to 30% of the time where the second level candidate is actually way better than the first level candidate. But it's just so much faster for us to be able to do that. And we will end up having that person, um, both people work with us anywhere from two weeks to three months, dependent upon how long that particular experiment will last. After three months, we'll either have hired one person or we actually sometimes hire both of them because they might be fantastic and we need to hire a lot of people. And at the end of those three months, we bring in a 
um, someone that that person may be managing, if they're a manager, someone that works with them side to side, and then someone who's their boss. It's usually three people. We sit in a room or we sit in a virtual Zoom room and uh, we say, okay, why should we not hire this person? Because that's the, that's the last meeting at three months, which is um, speak now or forever hold you to peace if we all approve of this person. And mostly it's honestly a culture conflict that goes on because sometimes there's people that are really good technically at their position, but they're assholes. And you need to make sure that you're finding those people as quickly as possible and getting them out of the business because they're company cancer and they'll end up finding other assholes and creating like a little asshole island of assholes. And then it's, you know, if you let that go a year or two, you're screwed because all of a sudden you got to fry an entire department, which we've had to do, unfortunately. So that's our entire process from beginning to end. Um, and it's really for us, it's, it's at a higher level. I mean, if anyone wants a little bit more of the specifics on that, um, we have on our YouTube channel, a whole bunch of stuff that I go into with regards to hiring. It's youtube.com slash running remote. Again, it's pretty nerdy stuff, but if you're into that kind of stuff, um, that's all I talk about on that YouTube channel. Fantastic. Well, Liam, thank you very, very much for joining me today. If people are eager to get hold of you, what's the best ways to do that? Oh, YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash running remote. That's the best place to get in touch with me. I actually, I respond to all of those messages myself. So um, that is, that's the best way to be able to get in touch with me. Uh, and then outside of that, if you go to timedoctor.com and sign up for a trial and scream my name under in any of the support portals, I magically appear. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. And to all the listeners, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've learned a ton of stuff and we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.